Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Every summer in Chicago, the sunshine spotlights the city's spectacular skyline, its luxurious lakeshore, marvelous monuments, and the over 200 neighborhoods in the city. And it also brings to light two of the greatest sports franchises in the world. On the north side, it's the Cubs. On the south side, it's the White Sox. This is Crosstown Crosstalk. I've been muted this entire time, so that's a huge mistake on my part. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode number 29 of Crosstown Crosstalk presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi. And of course, as you may notice, I'm dumb and Joey's not here. If Joey was here, I might have remembered to turn my mic on. But in Joey's spot, we're going to bring in a very special guest and I'm very excited to welcome onto the show, Mark Luino, also known as Giraffe Neck Mark on Twitter and YouTube. Mark, totally a professional intro that I did just right there, huh? I, you know, I was wondering, I was like, is my mic, I had to check my settings. I'm like, I'm not hearing anything. I don't know if that's me or if he's muted, but uh, yeah, unfortunately you were muted on that one. Yeah, you're probably thinking to yourself, this rookie. No, it happens to the best of us, trust oh, me. <laughs> it, it, it's happened to me. So I normally have my co-host Joey on the show. He just roasts me all the time whenever I do dumb stuff like that. He'll get a kick out of that for sure. But Mark, yeah. how you doing, man? Listen, I'm doing really good. I mean, as a Mets fan, you know, the lockout, that stinks. But everything else going on in Mets world has been A-OK. I have no complaints. Absolutely. And of course, when it comes to the Mets, the big story throughout all the offseason so far has been the deal that the New York Mets made with one of the greatest starting pitchers who ever lived. And of course, that's Max Scherzer. What was your initial reaction and your uh, current reaction to the Max Scherzer deal? Yeah, I was just completely shocked. I, you know, I know with Steve Cohen being the owner, we were going to spend money. And he kind of showed that a little bit with some of the moves of Canna and Escobar and Marte. But Scherzer is like, a, that's a big time move, giving him the highest AAV, coming to New York, spending money on a 37-year-old pitcher like that. That it made me feel some hope for what is like the first time in a long time with the Mets. We don't really feel that too often as Mets fans. Absolutely. Now, would you, looking back on all the years that you've been a Mets guy and supporting this team and content creating for this team, is this the biggest move that they've ever made in your opinion? I know there was a pretty big one last year, too. Yeah, Lindor was big, and that was the first, you know, building block of this team that's going to be moving forward. I, I love that move. I ran around my apartment. I'm sure some people have seen the video, but Scherzer is a different kind of move because really any owner could have made that Francisco Lindor trade. He was on the block, and he was rumored to be moving. If you had the prospects, you could get him. But Max Scherzer was different because not only do we get one of the best pitchers in baseball, but we just gave him so much money that nobody could even match or come close. I mean, we made the Dodgers look look like the little brothers over there in Los Angeles. So the fact that we were able to just spend so much more money than everyone else is one of the biggest moves, not just in baseball history, but for sure in the Mets history. Okay. And does it make you feel good knowing that, okay, the Mets, they provided the money, right? But sometimes, you know, a lot of money is a big part of it, obviously. But also there are other keys to bringing in free agents, like fielding a really good team. And, you know, obviously playing time, Scherzer's not worried about playing time. He knows he'd be the ace on basically every staff, except maybe this one, which is kind except of the funny. Mess. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, 
you're fielding a competitive team in Scherzer's brain. You know he wouldn't come if he didn't think he had a chance to win. So that's got to feel good as a Mets fan. Yeah, I think, you know, Scherzer coming here, $43 million, that does a lot of influencing as well. But bringing him or him coming into this team at least shows the fan base that not only do we think that we have a good team, but so do the players around the league. The narrative around baseball is always, you know, lol Mets, LOL Mets. This is a move that kind of gets us a little bit further away from that. That's That means that there's some, you know, hype and some optimism around the New York Mets. Absolutely. And when we were talking about LOL Mets, it was literally happening like a week before the whole Scherzer thing happened when Cohen decided to release his tweet, you know, ripping on Matt's inner or his agent and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of a two part question. What a turnaround in a week. Uh, perceptions, everything. And then the second part is like, do you think that the agent of Matt's dealing with Cohen and the Mets and all that? Do you think that do you buy into the fact that that actually sparked all that has happened with the Mets positively? Yeah, I'll answer that one first with Matt's stuff is that, yeah, I think so. Like, you know, if we win a World Series, which I think is possible in the future with the way that this team's going, we got to give Steven Matz and his agent a ring. Bring him to the parade because it seems like that's the move that kind of set Steve Cohen on a war path. I'm sure he had plans all offseason to make big moves and make splashes. That's kind of what it seemed like the plan was, but it all got jump-started when that happened. It seemed like that kind of woke him up and said, oh, yeah, you, you doubt me? You, you don't give me the respect? okay, I'm going to make that the biggest mistake of your life. You're going to wish you played for the Mets. And I think that's exactly what happened. And then in terms of, you know, the LOL Mets and the whole narrative changing now, um, I was always someone who loved Steve Cohen's, you know, antics on Twitter. I'm someone who obviously uses social media for a living, so I know the value that it has. And while there might be more traditional baseball fans that see his tweets and think that it's a clown show and, you know, maybe you keep that stuff private, I think that that is going to draw a lot of interest from people that maybe you wouldn't expect. Um, I think it's always good to have your name out there. He wasn't really doing anything bad. It was just different, and that can scare people sometimes. Absolutely. And we kind of hinted to it when we talked about when Scherzer goes to any team. He's pretty much the ace no matter where he goes. Look at any first-place team in baseball, whether it be my White Sox, even the Yankees, the Red Sox, all the, the Astros, all these teams, he's the ace of that staff except for the LOL Mets, who, not so LOL, now have the best one-two punch in baseball. And it could go down as the greatest one-two punch in the history of the sport after a couple seasons if they both pitch to their capabilities and stay healthy and all that. What do you like about the Jacob deGrom-Max Scherzer pairing besides everything? Yeah, I mean, there's there's almost nothing to dislike. I, don't th- I think if you come up with something you don't like with these two, uh, I don't know if you've watched baseball over the last few years. I mean, the age that might be your only thing but even then these guys have proven that you know age is just a number for them Scherzer had one of the best years of his career last year with you know the Nationals and the Dodgers and he showed no signs of slowing down it's not like he's you know getting these little injuries here and there he's been strong he's been healthy and he's just outperforming what everyone expects every single year to the point where now he got the biggest AAV in Major League Baseball history People know that this guy's good, and to have him around DeGrom, I I just can't wait to hear the conversations these guys are going to have with each other. Imagine the two best brains in baseball, arguably on the pitching side, talking and watching around each other. Like, it's scary what these two could do. Absolutely. And so I saw a little chatter worrying about injuries with these two guys. And, of course, that's a fair concern with any team. It kind of took down my favorite team's pitching staff by the end of the season with Lynn and Rodon being like in and out and dealing with arm soreness and whatever. But like Jacob DeGrom, 
why does he have this injury history in a lot of people's eyes, even though 2021 was really the only year that he had significant injury that you're like, whoa, because he came in, what, third for the Cy Young in 2020, the short year, then he won it the two years prior. You're not winning. You're not in competition for those awards if you're injured all the time. So where is this narrative coming from just because of one half of the season? Yeah, I think people get concerned about the elbow just because it was, you know, anytime you get sh- shut down for the year with an elbow, especially for a team who at the time was competing for the playoffs, I'm sure it's, you know, concerning. Um, but from everything that's been said and talked about right now, it seems like that elbow is healthy and fine, and he's going to be completely ready for whenever opening day is going to be. You know, that's still up in the air. Yeah, DeGrom's just not a guy that I ever get worried about with injuries. He He's just so smart. The way that he throws, I know he throws 102 miles an hour, which is just harder than anyone in the league, but... He's so fluid, and if you listen to guys who watch baseball or know baseball or know the mechanics, they talk about how he has some of the best in the league and that arm issues really shouldn't be a problem for him, that maybe throwing 102, not every single pitch, maybe we calm it down a little bit there, but he's a guy that I think it's more of a worry about injury because as Mets fans, we're just so conditioned into it's too good to be true. Something bad has to happen at some point. Absolutely. And, you know, it's a fair concern, I I guess, because obviously you want your – your aces of your staff going because when they're going, that could be the front end of a World Series level staff. And of course, the Mets fans just want that so bad. But I have to ask you, you got DeGrom and Scherzer leading off the rotation. Okay, you hope to lead every series 2-0 after the first two games with those horses at the top. But then you got to get to that third game. You got Taiwan Walker, pretty good pitcher. Is there another starting pitcher you're looking at that's still available in free agency? I, I know it's not allowed right now. We'll get to that in a minute. But if there are a couple names available. My guy, Carlos Rodon, I think would be a great fit on the New York Mets as the number three. Also a little bit of an injury arm soreness concern, but when he's on, he's on. I would like to know if you're worried about that or interested in that in any way with another starting pitcher. Yeah, I like Rodon a lot. Um, if we're going to spend the money, let's let's keep going. He's going to get paid, and he Mets, I'm sure, can beat anybody on the offer. So if they really don't care about you know going over the luxury tax, I would love to bring in Rodon as a three. I mean – you saw it a little bit last year, like you said, with the White Sox. That's that's a deep rotation right there if you rock with those guys, one, two, three. Uh, I'd love to look at Granky if you really want a guy who's probably just going to get innings, but of course he has like the anxiety issue and playing in New York may not be the best fit for him. Um, so I don't know about that. Some of the names that came off, like Cobb, Alex Cobb was someone that I was really hoping we could take a look at, but this pitching market's so deep that right now you could even find one or two guys to kind of fill that spot and it would be okay. We really just do need that guy to bridge the gap right now between the front two, like you said, and Walker and Carrasco, because as good as the front end is and as good as the back end can be, to have a complete rotation, to have that depth is something that you see all the winning teams have right now. Yeah, and if you bring in a solid number three like Rodon, then you start with those two at the front, and it's like you can go back to uh, Scherzer and DeGrom if Rodon or Walker are able to do their job, you know, in a playoff series, I know getting ahead of ourselves with the playoffs. And the nice thing about Rodon, the White Sox did not tender him. So the Mets would not have to give up a draft pick in order to sign him either. Yeah. Which would be huge. Uh, I was like listening to MLB network earlier this off season, Joel Sherman, who I don't necessarily agree with all the time on stuff. He had a good plan and he was like, listen, you go out after the guys who don't have any qualifying offers attached to them. You keep your picks, you get your guys in. And then at the deadline, you have, you know, these five more draft picks that you just added who will probably be some of the top guys in your farm system. You now have a retooled farm system right there where you could go and make a trade and grab someone if you need to, which I think is probably the most realistic route for the Mets right now is kind of roll with the rotation that we have, get some more depth pieces, and then at the deadline, if we need to, 
grab an arm like we saw the Blue Jays grab a Jose Barrios last year. Or maybe Luis Castillo will be cheaper. Who knows? Sure. And so we talked about bringing in a starting pitcher. The Mets, they should not be greedy or not greedy. They should be greedy in every sense of the word. You have all this money. The owner's rich. He wants to win. He he kind of has like a FU attitude. Like he wants to just show everyone that the Mets are here. They're not the LOL. Are there any hitters on the market right now? Uh, you know, there's Anthony Rizzo, Bryant, you know, multiple different big time bats out there that I think would be an okay fit over there on the Mets. What are you looking at? Yeah, I, I think right now, as much as I like Eduardo Escobar as a player, his true value might be kind of as a utility man, playing second, playing third, playing a little bit of first even. I like trying to fill in that third base hole still. Chris Bryant, I think, would be a really nice fit as well, just because he can play all the outfield positions too, which you can never have too much versatility. And even Billy Epler in his you know press conferences talked about that the Mets are looking for versatile players. They want guys who can play multiple positions. I'd love to bring in Carlos Correa to play third base. Is that going to happen? Probably not. I, I I know we want the Mets to spend all the money possible, but to me, probably committing, you know, $350, $400 million to Correa might be a little bit too much for the Mets' pockets right now. Um, But even Trevor Story, who could be on the cheaper side, who looks like his contract might be a little bit shorter term, but for a little more money, he would be a great third baseman, too, to have next to Lindor. I think those are the three guys I'm kind of targeting right now on the offensive side of the baseball because we kind of do have all the other positions, like, set to a point. Sure, and and that's nice to hear for Mets fans because – the team is probably looking as good as it has in a really long time. And so I got to ask you, I know it's only December 2nd and, you know, there's a whole lockout to go and more signings and other teams. The World Series champion literally resides in your division. There's a lot to worry about and dissect here. But what are your early expectations for the team as a whole as of right now? Yeah, I think the way that they're built right now, we can definitely compete to be the best team in the National League East, without a doubt. Now, World Series, a lot of stuff has to go right, and I think this team does need to improve still because the Dodgers still exist, and for me, they're always going to be the World Series favorites with the way that roster's built. But, yeah, the Mets are in a really, really good spot. Got to beat Atlanta, though. I'm not really worried about the Phillies or any other team in the National League East right now, but as a Mets fan, I've seen the Braves time and time again. I mean, they won the division, like, what was it, 14, 15 years in a row when I was, you know, first born, basically. We got to beat the Braves. And that was the team that had, you know, thrown our back last year, too. We couldn't get through them. We couldn't push past them. If we can, I think this team has, you know, really high ceiling. But we are still the Mets. We got to have a full, healthy season. And then I can start to really feel good about this team. But National League East crowns right now is a realistic expectation, I think. Yeah, and I like hearing that because obviously the Braves had the worst record of every team that made the postseason, and then they went on to win the World Series. Well, they're not going to be quite the same team as they were this year. They're going to lose some pieces. People are talking about Freddie Freeman. I personally think Freddie Freeman's going to end up back in Atlanta, and it's going to be very underwhelming. But um, with getting Ronald Acuna Jr. back is something that people also kind of forget. Like That's a top-five player in the league, in my opinion. But I think the Mets can win the division, and I'm looking forward to that potentially being the case because – the Phillies have Harper. Like, that's going to be nice, obviously. But it should be fun to watch the Mets compete in that division. Yeah, and I expect the Phillies to get better, too, as the offseason goes on. They just they have too many holes that, like, you can't, you can't run with that outfield out there right now. It's pretty much only Bryce Harper. But I think that the Mets are in a really good spot going into this lockout where they feel comfortable and don't feel like they're going to have to make, you know, do this big catch-up when we eventually do get the season back on track. Um, and we're, we're poised to be one of the best teams in baseball, win the National League East, and we move on from there one step at a time, which I think luckily the Mets seem to be kind of focused on is let's be the best team in the National League East, and let's get to the next step when we get there. Absolutely. When Garrett Cole signed with the New York Yankees in, what was it, 2018? 
Uh, you, yeah, nineteen, nineteen, whatever, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, one of those, one of those. Did you think that three or four years later he would legitimately be the third best pitcher in New York? No, um, I didn't think that Garrett Cole. I mean, he's he's so good. He's still a beast. Oh, sure. As much as I like to rag on him for you know the sticky stuff, I, I know that Garrett Cole is one of the best pitchers in baseball. But it is pretty awesome from a content side, at least, to be able to just throw that out there and get the replies and get all the people biting and taking the bait. But yeah, the idea that the Mets have the two best pitchers in New York is is pretty crazy. I, I didn't think it was really going to be there unless it's like Noah Syndergaard came back healthy and showed the promise that we once saw, but. Definitely didn't think it was going to be DeGrom and Scherzer in New York. That's for sure. Absolutely. And so we talked about the Mets for a little bit on the show. Um, I like bringing outside content to the Chicago folks who enjoy baseball as a whole. But I got to ask you, from an outsider's point of view who is a fan of another team in a big market, what are your outside views of the Cubs and the White Sox for last year and going into this year? Yeah, I love the White Sox. Um, That's a team that has vibes. I'm a big vibe guy. Again, through – going to spring training and just seeing how that team interacted with each other. And granted, this is back in the Rick Renteria days, so it's a little bit different now with Tony La Russa there. But that was a team that all the guys seemed to love being around each other. They had really good vibes, good energy, and they also have really good players. That's a really big, important factor, too. So, like, Luis Robert is an MVP in the making. I love that guy. I'm just – I couldn't be higher on a player right now in Major League Baseball than him. I think he's going to have a tremendous year. Eloy Jimenez, that guy can just absolutely rake with the best of them. Tim Anderson, I mean, you go around this team, they're loaded at almost every single position, and they have the pitching too, and they're building this super strong bullpen. I had the White Sox as a World Series contender last year. In fact, I think in my predictions, I might have had them going to the World Series. I don't remember off the top of my head, but I know for sure when the postseason bracket came around, I had you guys going to the World Series. So, yeah, I think the, the sky's the limit for the White Sox. That, that's so good to hear from somebody who's on the outside and somebody who roots for a team that has been making moves and is really making a push to be a contender like the White Sox have been for the last two years, I would say, especially this year. But I, I'm with you. Hopefully they're able to do something. I would love to see the Mets and the White Sox play each other in the World Series. That, that would, would be just, fun. It would be like the two biggest cities, or at least like the two biggest baseball cities, I would say, coming together and playing each other in the World Series, but not with – the two marquee franchises, according to the fan bases, you know, like if yeah. the Yankees played the Cubs in the World Series, that'd be something. But like the Mets and the White Sox would just be so awesome. Yeah, you guys are essentially like the Mets of Chicago for at least on the national scale. It feels like that probably. Absolutely. So last night we were unfortunate to learn about the upcoming lockout yep. that is going to take over Major League Baseball over the next couple we hope weeks, but it could be months. It could be longer than that. You never truly know with this stuff, but it, it's ugly. Like they took all the pictures, fa- players, pictures, faces off of the website. The players aren't allowed to access their coaches. They're not allowed to get medical attention from anybody attached to the organization. It, it's just gross, disgusting stuff as a baseball fan. We all love our individual teams, but as a l- league, it's just disgusting right now. So go off on what you think is so bad about all this stuff. Yeah, I mean – it's a collective bargaining agreement. Of course, there needs to be some compromise from both sides. And I know the players are coming in big, you know, and they, they want their demands to be met, and that's fair. I think the players deserve that. I'm always going to side with the players over the owners every single time. And the reason I do that is, one, I just think, you know, millionaires versus billionaires argument. I'm going to side with the guys who got the less money in that uh, scenario. And especially when they are what's valuable to this league. I mean, I know you're a White Sox fan. I'm a Mets fan. We root for these teams no matter what, but at the end of the day, 
if the Mets are going to consistently throw out a team of guys that aren't good, I'm not going to spend as much money going to watch that team. Therefore, they're not going to make as much revenue. In order for the league to make more money, the quality of play has to keep going up. And that's what's going on in Major League Baseball. It's not like these teams are, you know, uh, regionally based where you're from Chicago, you play for the White Sox or the Cubs. These guys are coming from all over the country, different parts of the world. You watch baseball because of the talent on the field. You don't watch it because of the owners or even necessarily because it's the Mets. And maybe that's just why I watch it is because of the players. Um, But the teams just feel like a way to monetize essentially what's going on on the field. I'm all for the players wanting more money. I'm all for them wanting better conditions. I'm all for them wanting all the things that they're asking for. Of course, there will be need to be some compromise, but I just hate how Manfred and Major League Baseball is handling it. It just the the letter he wrote to the fans is so so lame. I hated it. That was literally my next question that I have written down was how disgusted are you with that disgusting letter that he put out last night? I literally took a picture of it and I put it on my Snapchat story for all my friends to see. It just said "f you." And yeah. like I, I just, it was so annoying because all it was was, hey, I had to lock out the league that you love the most because the players are idiots is basically what it said in like legal talk. And yeah. it, it was just gross. Yeah, I, did. I actually like last night when that stuff came out, I just I fired up the camera and I started recording a video and that's going to come out later today. But it was like, man, like, do you really think that uh, uh, like us fans are that dumb that we don't know what's going on? It was a little it was super disrespectful to the players first and foremost, like that they just basically said the reason we're not playing is because of the players and blamed it on them. And then he threw him like, it hasn't happened in 26 years. We've done such a great job up until now. Like it was very like uh, he was gaslighting them or gaslighting us a little bit, but I just did. It felt like we were being talked to as if we have no information or no inside, you know, idea of what's going on when this stuff is so public and it's so petty and it's so stupid. And, I think the the thing that really bothered me is when he, they said the best way to ensure that 2022 baseball happens and it happens at the highest level is to lock the players out right now. And I was like, I mean, what a what an absolute lie that is. The best way to get the 2022 season started underway, correct me if you disagree with me, is to not lock the players out and just continue negotiations. That's literally exactly what I said in my record. I'm like, how can the best way to have baseball be not have baseball? That doesn't make any sense. That's backwards. Absolutely. And just the fact, I'm sure you as a content creator love the winter meetings just as much as I do because I get the most reaction out of my content throughout the winter meetings. And the fact that the rest of them were just canceled other than minor league baseball proceedings is just, it's horrible news. It's so bad for baseball fans. And that letter might've played 26 years ago during the 1994 lockout when more people were ignorant to what was going on. But with social media and all that now, people are locked into this stuff. We know what's going on and, you know, nobody's going to be happy about this at all. Especially most people work nine to fives. And they don't want to hear, like, I I love that term you said. I used it in one of my articles. Billionaires and millionaires fighting over money-related things. It's just something the average Joe doesn't want to hear about. Yeah, and especially, like, the part where he was talking about, like, the way that the players are, you know, proposing this new CBA would make it impossible for Major League Baseball to exist and teams to be competitive in smaller markets. And I was like, well, the Oakland A's are a small market. Oakland's one of the smaller markets in baseball. Yet their owners were $3.9 billion or $2.9 billion and is in the top 10 in net worth and owners, and they choose not to spend any money. So spare me what the teams can't spend. I know that, you know, there is a disparity in the top owners and the bottom. Like I think Bob Castellani might be the lowest at like $400 million net worth, which yeah, is still a lot of money at the end of the day. But the idea that these smaller markets can't compete 
because of what the players are proposing. It's just nonsense. The Rays have found a way to do it. They are just smarter. They work harder. They have invested their money instead of in these players in the research and analysis to get the best players for the best evaluation. And I think that all those teams that maybe don't have the Steve Cohen pockets can do that, but the teams at the top shouldn't be penalized for doing that, which that's the part to me that blows my mind. Like pretending like baseball can't exist the way that the players want it is just ridiculous. Absolutely. And so I want to know your stance. Rob Manfred did talk in his press conference today in Arlington about the competitive balance being affected by when players become free agents. And so I would like to know your opinion on that because I I do believe there is somewhat of a competitive balance issue in baseball, but I don't think that is in any way, shape or form the way to fix it. And like you said, there are teams like the Rays who are at a disadvantage financially that figure it out. And then you got teams like the Dodgers who are basically a combination of the Yankees and the Rays. They, They do both. And that's why they're so successful. So what are your thoughts on the free agent stuff? Yeah, the free agent stuff is just such nonsense. Um, I am completely with the players asking for less control over their contracts because, I mean, you can sign a guy at 18 years old, and until he gets to the major league level, you have, you have control over him for quite some time. And then once he gets there, he's got to go through pre-arbitration years and then the arbitration years, and then he gets to hit free agency. You're seeing some players hit free agency at 32, 33 years old because they came up when they were 27. I mean, that to me is no league that – really does care about the development of their players or care about the well-being of their players. They're looking out on their bottom line. And I get it. Major League Baseball is a business and teams like the Royals or not even the Royals, the Rays want to keep control of their players for as long as possible. But the idea that even just shaving off a year is going to be this catastrophic, you know, what will Major League Baseball do? How will the Pittsburgh Pirates compete? Well, they haven't competed for the last 20 years. So that argument to me is nonsense. I mean, these guys can get paid. These guys can you know, hit the free agent market. It's not bad for baseball. Free agency is good for baseball. It breeds more competition. The teams that want to be the best have an opportunity to make their team better. And to me, that's not a problem with baseball. I agree. I'm fairly certain that they've gotten more engagement during this free agent frenzy that has gone on over the last two weeks than they have in the last two months combined, even maybe during the postseason when most teams are out of it anyway. And really the true diehards of the teams left are the ones remaining. But it, it To me, this lockout didn't really slap me in the face because in 2015, the Cubs held down Bryant, right? And that allowed him, and many years later, they took it to court and like, hey, I want my free agency. And then there's the COVID stuff last year. There was basically a mini lockout last summer. Or, well, it's, I guess it's two summers ago now. So this whole thing didn't really slap me in the face as much. Do you have like a reaction to that? Yeah, no, it's, it's been a long time coming. I, the, the first time I really heard about this was probably like in 2018 where they're like, 2021 is going to get ugly and it's not going to be good and it's, it's going to be a problem. The lockout's coming. So I, I was optimistic. I thought, hey, maybe they'll, they'll figure it out by then. Um, maybe it'll get better. But it wasn't a surprise by any, um, by any means. But I just I wish it didn't have to happen because it feels like it didn't need to. It feels like they could still be negotiating and keeping you know the league active as we know it the steps that we've taken feel drastic right now. Um, but listen, at the end of the day, I think we all want baseball back. I'm willing to, uh, to agree, think that most baseball fans agree with me there. Let's just get it done. There has to be some compromise from both sides, but I always tend to you know, go with the players, and it just feels like the owners are saying, well, we compromise. The, the players won't do anything, and that's just not true. 
Absolutely. And before I let you go, I can't thank you enough for your time. I do want to ask you, they are going to be negotiating. There are some things that will be negotiated for the next collective bargaining agreement that are more on the fun side of things rather than just money related BS, like the designated hitter in the National League, the runner on second base and extra inning rules. And of course, this would help our favorite teams, certainly expanded playoffs. Yeah. What are your reaction to those three teams? What side of the fence do you lie on with those? Yeah, I love the DH. I'm sick and tired of seeing pitchers hit. The idea that a guy like Jacob DeGrom or Max Scherzer who get paid $40 million a year could get hurt swinging a bat or even more so running the bases? Uh, no thank you. Out on that. Don't want to see that. They're getting paid to pitch. The idea that they need to be a complete, complete player and swing the bat too? Don't care. We've had a DH in the American League for however many years it is now, and there's been no issues whatsoever. Make it an entire thing. These guys are getting paid too much money. Um, in terms of the postseason, I don't know where I stand here because, like you said, it would definitely help the Mets. Having an expanded postseason would definitely help the Mets. So in that aspect, I like it, but I do love the idea of how, you know, uh, I don't want to say, like, elite, but how special it is to make the postseason in Major League Baseball. It's not like the NBA or the NFL or hockey where half the teams make the league. Ten teams make the league – or ten teams make the playoffs in Major League Baseball out of 30. It is a grind. It's 162 games. It makes every game that much more worth it because you might miss out on the playoffs by one or two games. And that's it. There's no real opportunity as a 500 team to get in unless you just have an awful division, and that happens every so often. Um, I, I like the way baseball is played right now in terms of the playoffs. I wouldn't change anything. Um, and then the third thing, what, what was it? I, I forgot what you said. Oh, the runner on second base. Yeah. I, okay, so call me crazy. I actually kind of liked it. Um, I don't think it's real baseball by any means, and I, I get people who disagree with it. But um, – I thought it was really exciting. I, I would turn on an extra inning game between the Tigers and the Rangers because I went, something's going to happen. There is going to be action, whether it's artificial or you know real. That's to be determined. There's probably a way to fix it. Maybe put him on first instead of second so he's not automatically in scoring position. But I like it. I, I didn't hate it. Yeah, it's funny. There are going to be some White Sox fans watching this here and you say you didn't hate it. And they just got screwed by it so many times this year. I think, and when I, I think the fans of teams who were successful with it probably enjoy the rule, and people who are fans of teams that weren't so successful with it might not like it as much. But like you said, the pitchers—they're not Otani, and you know, as long as you make it where you could forfeit the DH by your choosing, I, I would love to have the universal DH because nobody wants to see Chris Sale get up there and swing the bat when he's playing, and it, it's kind of a benefit to. National League teams, I would say, because they get to bring in an extra hitter and the American League teams don't. No, American League teams get a huge, huge advantage by having the DH. Um, And I know that a National League team won the World Series this year, but in all honesty, when a National League team goes to the American League, they're at a disadvantage because they don't build their roster right now for that DH, that designated hitter spot, where an American League team that comes over, yeah, you might sacrifice a little bit of fielding, but you still have 10 guys to choose from. So, um, yeah, I'm all for the DH. More offense is always good. Couldn't agree with you more. There have been Hall of Famers as DHs, and yes. the National League teams just don't get to do it. it. It sucks. So, Mark, I cannot thank you enough for your time. This has been so special, and I know our fans are truly going to enjoy this. I love talking Mets baseball, so I'll be <laughs> in yours. I'll be in your Twitter spaces. Make sure you check that out. And go ahead, really quick before you go, plug everything you're doing. You get what you guys are doing is awesome. Sure. Yeah. So uh, for my personal stuff, uh, at Giraffe Neck Mark everywhere. My main thing is YouTube. That's where all my video content goes. But then I also have a Mets podcast called Mets Up with my co-host James Shiano. Um, and we talk about the Mets once a week during the offseason, twice a week during the regular season after every single series. We're obsessed with the Mets. So if you like the Mets, it's the place to be. Baseball, otherwise, Giraffe Neck Mark on YouTube. You can find me there. 
Thanks so much, Zach, for having me on. Appreciate our Zach. I called you Zach, Zach Parisi, the hockey player. Yeah, that's hilarious. Vinny Parisi. Yeah, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a diehard New Jersey Devils fan because of Zach Parisi. That is no joke. It's a compliment oh, really? that you called me that. Oh, yeah. We okay, all right. I don't feel as bad. On this network, too, all the yeah. hockey stuff on Twitter. So I can't thank you enough for coming on. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Vinny. Thanks so much. Absolutely. We'll be in touch. And everybody, we are going to send you to a quick commercial break. And welcome back, where I remembered to keep the volume on this time. I can't thank Mark enough for coming on. That was wonderful. I love talking about the Mets. I love talking about baseball, you know, the White Sox, the Cubs. But the, the Mets were the big team in the news this week. They made the most additions. And, of course, we didn't even get to, like, some of the other additions that the Mets made over the course of the last couple of weeks besides Max Scherzer, because that's obviously, like, the big story when they're running out Jacob deGrom and – uh, Max Scherzer, it's always great, but they did also sign Eduardo Escobar, Mark Hanna, and Starlin Marte, so it's just going to be a really good team. I'm excited to watch the Mets compete next year. I'm going to probably stroll over to Wrigley Field at least one time to check out the New York Metropolitans at least one time. So, speaking of the Cubs, some some news with the Cubs. It's, it's an interesting team to me right now. They signed Jan Gomes and Clint Frazier as sort of depth pieces to play on the team next year and you figure the Cubs probably not going to be very good the competitiveness from last season dwindled once they traded away their core that they won championships with so it, it was an interesting team to me well Clint Frazier he went to the New York Yankees in the trade that brought Andrew Miller to the Cleveland Indians who went on to play the Chicago Cubs in the World Series where they lost in seven games four days prior to the Indians trading Frazier for Miller the Cubs traded Glabar Torres to the New York Yankees for Araldis Chapman with the Yankees, Dellen Batances, Andrew Miller, and Araldis Chapman formed the best back end of a bullpen in the league. And so one of them went to the Indians, one of them went to the Cubs. They met in the World Series. Clint Frazier was part of that trade tree. It's very interesting that he ended up back on the Cubs after all that. But Jan Gomes, Jan Gomes, long career at the Red Sox. You know, I love the Red Sox. They're a team I, I watch when, you know, the White Sox aren't on and what have you. But Jan Gomes is a pretty good replacement catcher. He's an older player. It's interesting to me that the Cubs brought him in. I'll tell you why. Wilson Contreras has one year left on his current contract. And Jesse Rogers came on this show and told us that he thinks Wilson Contreras is going to be moved. And that was long before the Jan Gomes deal ever went down. And then right when the Jan Gomes trade went down, Wilson Contreras decided he was going to tweet a bunch of airplane emojis and he's off, not in the United States right now, but it was definitely an interesting tweet because there are not people that think Wilson Contreras is on the trade block. And that would not surprise me. It's not cool. I think it would be somewhat of a mistake for the Cubs to trade Wilson Contreras. And here's why I think it became more of a issue to trade Wilson Contreras over the last couple days, because last night the Cubs decided they were going to sign Marcus Stroman. Now Marcus Stroman, he's great. The Cubs have themselves an ace. He will be their ace. I wouldn't be surprised 
if Kyle Hendricks is their opening day starter, just out of pure respect for the guy who's given him so much. But Marcus Stroman at this point, I would say, is better than Kyle Hendricks. We'll see if he's actually better than him next season. But it's interesting to me because Kyle Hendricks and Marcus Stroman are both contact pitchers, and the Cubs' defense isn't what those guys are normally used to having behind them. So it's going to be interesting to see if they're able to have the level of success that they once did. But, you know, Marcus Stroman, the numbers are good. He had a really good year. But where I'm confused is the fact that the Cubs, they seem like they're rebuilding. Signing Clint Frazier and Jan Gomes with the potential to trade Wilson Contreras, that screams rebuild to me. There's nothing wrong with rebuilds. My favorite team, the White Sox, won 93 games last season because they rebuilt their team. Your favorite team, the Chicago Cubs, won 103 games in a World Series title in 2016 because they did a rebuild. I'm all for rebuilding. I have some spicy takes about the New York Yankees and their need to do a true rebuild. Sometimes just signing a crap ton of free agents is going to help you. The New York Mets had a really okay group in place. They were like a second, third place team that kind of fell off in the second half of the year because the bottom fell out. Well, now the bottom might not fall out because they're so they're, they have a lot more added to the top. That's a team that is smart to act in free agency the way that they have. But the Cubs, who was their best player last season? Frank Schwindel, Patrick Wisdom, Wilson Contreras, who they might trade. So what are you bringing in Marcus Stroman for? Now, I understand that Stroman, Hendricks, Wade Miley, and Adbert Alzali, it's a pretty nice four in a rotation. None of them are like a Cy Young, you know, top five pitcher in the league anymore. Kyle Hendricks used to be, and so was Marcus Stroman at one point too. But, you know, Wade Miley had a pretty good last year, kind of fell off a little bit at the end of the season, but it's a good rotation. But their offense is like, it's hit or miss. Jason Hayward's probably going to play 150 games. Ian Happ was qualified a couple days ago. He will be back with the Cubs next season. Um, You know, those two guys stink, especially offensively. And... I do love Nick Madrigal. The Cubs slaughtered the White Sox in that trade. I've been saying it for months. Um, Hopefully the White Sox are able to get something for Craig Kimbrough to make up for it. We'll see. But Nick Madrigal is outstanding. He will be their slap-hitting second baseman that will play good defense, and, you know, it is what it is. Frank Schwindel might play some good first base, but will he have 1,000 OPS again? Frank Schwindel, 1,000 OPS for an entire year? I'd be a little surprised. Same thing with Patrick Wisdom. And these guys, they might be good players. They're, they're going to get their opportunities in spring training. But just the Marcus Stroman signing was a little bit confusing to me now. If they were to sign Carlos Correa, and they are one of his five teams, it was confirmed to me. The Cubs are one of Correa's five teams. He's interested in going to a team that might be rebuilding for two years. Then the Marcus Stroman signing might make a little more sense because there's a chance they'd be competitive on the field for next year, the year after. But then, like, beyond that, they might be, like, really competitive. And Carlos Correa is one of the best shortstops in baseball. He's 30 for 100 every single year, no matter what, unless he gets hurt. So it's going to be interesting to see what goes down with the Chicago Cubs. I I don't think signing Marcus Stroman competes them with the Milwaukee Brewers or the St. Louis Cardinals in that division. But they should be a little bit better than they were last year, I would think. They need to get another offensive piece if they are serious about winning. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. On the other side of town, the Chicago White Sox, they won 93 games last year. Luis Robert missed a bunch of games. 
Eloy Jimenez missed a bunch of games. Madrigal was lost to the season for the season before being traded. Yasmani Grendel was awesome when he was playing, but he did have a little bit of a knee surgery. But then when he came back, he was probably the best hitter on the team. So I, I like this team. Their pitching staff is very good. Lucas Giolito, Lance Lynn, and Dylan Cease are all awesome. Carlos Rodon is probably going to move on. But the other three, all top 10 Cy Young guys, all going to be back next year. Michael Kopech is going to make that jump from the bullpen to the rotation next year. That is official. I can't confirm that. I think Garrett Crochet will probably stay back in the rotation, and they'll develop him for another year. Think of him as Michael Kopech without the Tommy John, without – you know, missing 2020 because of mental health reasons or anything. Think about just pure baseball. I compare Michael Kopech and Garrett Crochet, just one's a lefty, one's a righty. I think Michael Kopech's ceiling's a little bit higher, but the White Sox are handling them in a very similar way. Garrett Crochet going to be a great pitcher. So with a very, very good roster like that, you'd expect them to try and make one or two more moves to try and fill some holes and – get things going to really push them over the edge because I do believe they are one more like superstar bat away from being the best team in the American league because the Houston Astros, they're losing players left and right. The New York Yankees to me are rotten at the core. They need to tear it down and they need to start developing their own guys. You know, the way the Yankees run their business just isn't it for me. I think the Oakland A's might go from that pesky little team to one of the worst teams in the league. I'm way more concerned about the Seattle Mariners than, and the Texas Rangers than any team in the West that was like in playoff contention last year, and that being the Astros, A's, and um, yeah, that's it, the Astros and the A's. The Angels are hit or miss. They have Trout and Otani, but at any year they uh, they like just kind of hover in the middle. In the East, it's going to be the Red Sox. The Yankees will be good enough to be like in competition, but I don't think they're as good as the White Sox. They're not. Um, I don't think the Red Sox are going to be as good as the White Sox. They might go farther in the playoffs because they're more experienced and just have better luck all the time, but they'll have a worse record than the White Sox, I would think. The team that worries me, of course, the Tampa Bay Rays. No matter what, they could have me, you, and your best friend playing first base, second base, and third base, and they're going to win 100 games. They just figure it out. So really, the White Sox are competing with the Rays for the top of the league right now, the American League, I should say, and if they were to sign one of these big guys, and they haven't yet. There are still so many out there. I have no idea if they're looking. There are rumors that Chris Bryant and the White Sox have had a chatter. I, I'm not, I can't confirm that from my sources. I, you know, I, I say when I can confirm things, that's from my guy who I believe the Chris Bryant stuff is all he said, she said. So it'll be interesting to see. He does fill a hole because he could play right field. It probably would be his primary position on the White Sox unless they move Moncada back to second, put Bryant at third. But the big move that they made was adding Kendall Graveman. Now, Kendall Graveman was an awesome starter way back when. He's a true relief pitcher now. And he was awesome with the Seattle Mariners slash Houston Astros last year. In fact, when the Seattle Mariners traded him to – you might remember this if you're, like, locked into baseball. The Seattle Mariners traded him to the Texas Rangers at or to the Houston Astros at the trade deadline. And the Seattle faithful and the Seattle players were like, what the hell is this? Why are we trading this guy? He's one of the best relievers in the game. We're on track to make the playoffs. Like, we have a legit shot at this thing. And the Mariners are the longest team in the big four, NHL, NFL, MLB, NBA. They are the longest playoff drought of all of them. And they're just trading away this, like, star reliever like that to a team that is in their division. 
what? And then Kendall Graveman went to the Astros, was awesome, helped them beat the White Sox in the postseason. Speaking of that, Graveman credits the White Sox fans for like partially helping his decision. Of course, I can think of a million other reasons why he chose to sign with the White Sox. But, I mean, he could have went to any really good team because any really good team would have wanted him. And to me, there's there's no reason to not think that that way that that playoff series went helped influence him to want to come to the White Sox. It's an interesting team with an interesting fan base. And credit to everyone who was at those games. I was there, so I take full credit for helping bring Kendall Graveman down to the south side. Now, Leary Garcia's back. He's the longest tenured Chicago White Sox player, I believe. I might have to fact check this, but I'm pretty sure he's the longest tenured Chicago baseball player. I don't think the Cubs have a player that they've had longer than the White Sox have had Leary Garcia. And I'm trying to think if there's even a bear that has been. I, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves have been with the Hawks longer than Leary Garcia has been with the White Sox. And I'm almost certain that all the Bulls are newer than Leary Garcia. So it might be Taves, Kane, Leary Garcia. Very interesting trio of players there. Definitely a motley crew. But I, Leary Garcia, listen. There are people that were mad about the signing. I get it. It's like he's been on the team, you know, over 700 OPS player. He's an average player. His batting average is okay, but that stat stinks. He he hits a couple clutch home runs here and there. He had five home runs. They were all clutch. They were all either tying or game-winning home runs. And he had the home run in the postseason that gave the White Sox a big lead in that game three over the Houston Astros in that game, and they ended up winning. So – it's definitely an interesting signing to bring him back. He's a utility player. He can play short, third, second, outfield. You're a better baseball team if he's your 26th man. There's no doubt about it. Every team in the league would want Leary Garcia as their 26th man. I think what White Sox fans are worried about is him not being the 26th man. I think it, people envision him playing second base on opening day, and that would be kind of a disaster because the White Sox – they have the financial ability to go out there and make a big move, and they just they're using Leary Garcia. So it's going to be interesting to see. I see a comment from my pal Skyler in the chat asking about Anthony Rizzo. I literally have not heard a single thing about Anthony Rizzo. He, I, if I could have taken any free agent, let me be clear about this. This is the greatest free agent class in the history of Major League Baseball at least as long as I can remember. I mean, we have superstars at every position. And it's the, it's definitely like this is like fact. It's the greatest shortstop market of all time. And most of them have gone except for Story and Correa. And then the, so the starting pitching market and the shortstop market, those have been exercised. A lot of teams have gotten their guy. But the rest of the positions, very quiet. The outfield market's quiet. Nick Castellanos is still out there. The Suzuki guy from the Japanese league who's supposed to come over and be awesome. He's yet to sign with a team yet. Um, and then, of course, there's guys like Anthony Rizzo. And I think I mentioned Nick Castellanos already, which I think he'd be a great fit for the White Sox. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've heard rumors surrounding pretty much all those guys. Even the ones who signed had rumors. You know, they're down to this team, that team, and the other team. I have not heard Anthony Rizzo's name a single time. If I had to take a, a wild guess, though, 
Anthony Rizzo, he's an aging third baseman who's going to he's going to get a fair check. He's going to get a pretty fair check and I think he'll get some term, but he's got the back issue and he's on the wrong side of 30, but World Series champion, gold glove caliber first baseman. He's going to give you 30 home runs and 80 plus RBIs every single year. There might even be those like years I still think he might have one or two years left of being like a 35 home run guy with 100 RBIs. We'll see. Depends on the team. Depends on who's protecting him in the lineup, how the manager uses him, whatever. If I was Anthony Rizzo, I would not go back to the New York Yankees. The New York Yankees have Luke Voigt. There was an issue with that last season, the dynamic between that. And I, I just I don't see the Yankees winning with that group. I don't. I don't know why. They don't draft and develop their own guys, even any like they've been under the luxury tax and they made moves to get under the luxury tax. And I still don't love that team. And I'm not saying it as a hater or anything like that. Let's be honest. The league's better when the Yankees are good, even when trolls like me are ripping on them. Like you rip on them when they're good, when they're like in last place, you don't like go out of your way to make fun of them. So it's like, whatever. But Giancarlo Stanton had a good year. Aaron Judge has one year left on his deal. They're just they they're just blah. They're blah. They make me want to go blah. And I, I just can't I can't imagine them like being any better than like maybe an AL East champion, but like or just a wild card winner potentially. But like there are other teams coming for them in terms of the wild card chase. I don't think they're better than the Tampa Bay Rays, and I barely think they're better than the Boston Red Sox. They might not even be. So. If I was Anthony Rizzo, I would go to an American League team that I could play first base a fair amount of the time, but also DH on a couple days as well. My back's feeling a little iffy, you know, maybe get a day off, but also you could DH a little bit, maybe not stress yourself as much at first base, although Anthony Rizzo, man, at first base. I'm a first baseman myself. I played first base after catching my whole life. I was a catcher slash first baseman. I love watching a good first baseman play defense. It's just, it's mesmerizing to me. It's just what I like. And so Anthony Rizzo has been one of the best. Boston makes sense to me because they haven't brought Kyle Schwarber back. He's not very good at first base, but he's serviceable. Um, obviously, there are the the top teams in the AL that have first baseman. I think Guriel is playing mostly first base. Obviously, the White Sox have Abreu, the Seattle Mariners but I don't know if Anthony wants to head out West like that. Um, Could he make sense on a team like the Tampa Bay Rays since he's from the general Florida area? The Miami Marlins are all of a sudden making some like moves to try and be at least a little bit better. But like, am I trying to go in the same division as the New York Mets right now? Would he make sense on the New York Mets? They have Peter Alonzo, but like he could play other positions as well. They don't have a DH that makes it tough unless they add a DH. See, and that could be part of the reason why Anthony Rizzo hasn't been in any rumors or anything yet. Maybe Tony's really smart and he's thinking to himself, well, you know what? Let me see what goes on with this collective bargaining agreement a little bit first. Let me see if they add a DH to the National League. Maybe I'll go back to the Cubs. If the Cubs have a DH next season, I'll go play for the Cubs. If the Milwaukee Brewers, they lost Avisail Garcia to the Miami Marlins. That's not a bad idea. Cub fans don't want to hear about him playing for the Cardinals or the Brewers, but the Cardinals have Goldschmidt, but he'd be a true, he would absolutely be the DH there if they ever added one. But like there, there are just so many options. Maybe he goes and plays with the 
Toronto Blue Jays. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. converted to a first baseman, but he can play other positions. They also have a DH. Semyon is gone. They're going to be missing some offense. There are some options for Mr. Rizzo. And speaking of the Toronto Blue Jays, they did lose out on Marcus Semyon. He did go to the Texas Rangers. That, to me, is like probably the biggest signing so far this offseason besides Scherzer. And the Texas Rangers, Seattle Mariners, and Toronto Blue Jays have been the most active teams so far this offseason in the American League. The Mets are right there with them to form like the Mount Rushmore of most active teams, but I like what Seattle's doing. Robbie Ray was awesome in 2021, and I think he's going to go there and be the ace of their staff. They were like the most underrated team last year, but I have one little bit of an issue with them. They were the surprise team that won 90 games, just missed the playoffs. If the AL East wasn't so good, they probably would have got to sneak into the wild card over one of those AL West, AL East teams being an AL West team, but it was for not. They came up just short. Their run differential scares me a little bit. They were the only team to make the postseason in the American League with a negative run differential, and it's not like it was even like minus three. I'm pretty sure if I go back and look, they were they like missed by like minus 40. So it's going to be interesting to see how those three teams play. I, I like seeing them spend them especially the Texas Rangers and Seattle Mariners. The last show Joey appeared on here, he referred to the Rangers as like the most boring team of his lifetime. And I vaguely, I'm 26, I'll be 27 next week. I vaguely remember when they signed A-Rod, the Rangers. And then like three years later, they were begging one of the Red Sox or Yankees to take that contract from them because they couldn't afford him anymore. Obviously, the people down in Arlington, they got that brand new stadium. Globe Life is apparently like the new greatest stadium in Major League Baseball, not counting like history. Like obviously Fenway, Wrigley, Yankee Stadium, Dodger Stadium. Like those are like the historic, like people want to go there for whatever, you know, the boring nostalgic reasons. Pure like awesome modern like architecture, Globe Life architecture. Globe Life Stadium is apparently it. and so. It'll be interesting to see how they play. I definitely think they're they're a little bit away from being like that, that true World Series contender. But when a team like the White Sox, who plans on winning 95 games next year, plays against the Texas Rangers and they lose a close ball game five to four, don't be too surprised because that team's going to be pretty good. A lot of people should fear those teams that made big moves this offseason. I will say I'm a little disappointed with baseball today. I love baseball. I have loved this sport since I was five. I played t-ball, and it doesn't always love you back. And the reason I'm looking down is I have my phone here with a couple things that, you know, the great writers at Fansided, special shout-out to Noah Yingling, who wrote this article for Call Through the Pen, which is the all-Major League Baseball site. We have our individual team sites, but this is the all-MLB site. He wrote a nice piece about the – Frequently Asked Questions Guide to the Work Stoppage that is going on in Major League Baseball right now. It is the ninth in the history of the sport. And like I said, it it doesn't always love you back. And, you know, I've dedicated a fair portion of my life to this game. Like, I do it for a living. I cover it. You know, I have fun. I take the people I'm closest to to games. And they just spit in my face last night at 11.59 when the collective bargaining agreement locked out. All the money that I've spent is just, it's sad. It's disgusting. 
no one wants to hear millionaires and billionaires argue over money related things. Sure. It's definitely, it's definitely interesting from like the non-money point of view in the negotiations. I talked about it with Mark. We can argue about the DH till the cows come home. There are still the baseball traditionalists that want to see the pitchers bat. And although I disagree with that take, it's interesting to talk baseball with people. You're not getting mad about it or anything like that. It's baseball. That part of it is meant to be fun. And, you know, the, the runner on second base rule. Mark seems to like it. I hate it. But, you know, it's just a baseball differing opinion. Nobody's mad at each other over it. This money stuff, though, people get actually angry with each other over, like, the players want this, the owners want that. Any of us would take any of those guys' salaries. And they're arguing over playing baseball. who We all play and talk about it for free. So it's like... It's just annoying. So really quick, I'm going to go over what the the issues have been. So the players become free agents after six full seasons in the big leagues. The MLB Players Association want it to be less. They want it to be – I think the rumor is they want it to shrink it to five years that they become free agents. And then, of course, there's service time manipulation. If a team keeps an MLB ready player in the minors for a month or so to start the season – the team gets an extra year of control so the player of the player before arbitration and free agency. You saw that with Chris Bryant if you're a Cubs fan in 2015. And you saw them take it all the way to court to get this thing figured out whether or not he becomes a free agent this year, next year, the year after, blah, 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 blah. Salaries have been shrinking in the last two years or so. The MLB Players Association, not happy about this. Again, you're talking about salaries shrinking. When I'm watching Garrett Cole sign for $300 million, I might be lucky to see $1 million roll through my bank account over the course of my life, like combined. And these guys, you're making less when you're making three. Like, I, I want them to get paid. Don't get me wrong. I want baseball players to get paid. It's a billion-dollar revenue league. Everybody deserves a slice of the pie. They're not average people. They make more money than average people, and that's okay. I'm not mad about that part. I'm not jealous that I'm not on the same salary level as those guys. I'm not. What I'm mad about is the fact that I might not be able to watch it because you're arguing over it. You want to make millions of dollars and billions of dollars? Great. Go do it. I'll pay you. I'll give you some of that money. Part of that money you earn will be from me, and I'm okay with that. But when you lock me out as a fan, and you tell me that I might not have games over this stuff, no one wants to hear it. No one. And then, of course, there's stuff with, obviously, the their, their competitive balance in Major League Baseball seems to be a focus. They want a salary floor. The MLB PA wants there to be a better competitive balance, and they're you know talking about a salary floor. My favorite league in terms of roster construction financially is the National Hockey League. And I'm not just saying that because hockey is my favorite sport. There's a lot of bullshit. Me and Joey ripped on the NHL as a league all day yesterday. It's a trash league in terms of the the Brad Marchand stuff. Joey's still mad. I heard the steam coming from his head this morning about Marchand. Still, it's been two days. Hockey's financial roster construction, though, is my favorite because you're allowed to trade draft picks, which you're not allowed to do in baseball. And each team has a salary cap and a salary floor. It's a hard floor and it's a hard cap. If you exceed the cap, you cannot you just can't. You cannot exceed the cap and play games. You can and you can't be below the floor, meaning you have to have a roster that 
exceeds that number, which probably means you have at least a couple formidable players on the roster in order to reach that floor, meaning you will be, as a result, a better hockey team. And that's just not the case in baseball. Max Scherzer is going to make more money next season than three teams have on their payroll right now. There are three teams that have an entire payroll that are less than what Max Scherzer is making next season. It's just bad. Some teams just don't care about winning right now. And and I know that like you have to rebuild your team and all that, but if every but everybody's not on the same playing field. So hopefully something gets figured out with this whole thing. It's not anything that any of us want to have to deal with. I don't like spending an hour of this show talking about mostly negative things going on with Major League Baseball. And guess what? I'm gonna. I'm going to. Why? Why am I going to? Well, I like to entertain. I like to have people, you know, participate in the chat, but I also just love the game of baseball. And I'm going to be here talking baseball, even while they decide not to. And so this is going to be your place to be with, you know, the work stoppage. You want baseball content? This is where you come. There are great people like Mark who make great content. You could go check out his channel, but baseball might be going away for them. It's not going for me. We will be here. The day that they sign a new collective bargaining agreement, we'll be here still, but we'll have never left. And it, it just bugs me deep down inside knowing that they don't actually care about you, the fan. And Rob Manfred's letter to the fans last night, it points that out to me the most. It's like, oh, the players are bad. I have to lock them out. Hopefully we have them back by March 31st when the Chicago White Sox are ready to take on the Minnesota Twins at Guaranteed Great Field. And you know what's the most sad about the whole thing? I was at the White Sox last game of the season. They were eliminated from postseason contention in game four of the ALDS against the Houston Astros. And Gene Honda said when the game was over, over the intercom, thank you all so much for coming this season. We've enjoyed having you. We will see you on March 31st when the Chicago White Sox will take on the Minnesota Twins. And I thought to myself, I hope so. I really hope so. It just doesn't seem like it's going to be the case this year, or at least throughout the winter. And then what happens when they, if they reach a collective bargaining agreement and have labor peace in February? Spring training is about to start. There's Anthony Rizzo. There's Chris Bryant. There's Nick Castellanos. There's... Carlos Correa, there's Suzuki. There's so many great players still out there. Who are they going to sign with? They're, there's going to have to be some kind of designated signing period. I understand that. But like it sounded like the Cubs were getting pretty close on Correa. Is that ruined now because of the collective bargaining agreement expiring? We'll see. But like the Cubs just might have lost out on an eight-war player because of the lockout. That's not good. You know, would the White Sox have had a chance to present Marcus Semien with a better package had there not been a, a deadline for the lockout? He obviously wanted to have stability and a place to play when the lockout was over before it happened. Otherwise, he wouldn't have signed. And maybe the Texas Rangers made the best offer to him at that point in time and took the opportunity away from a better option for him and another team. It's just so disgusting all around. And I'll, quite frankly, I just hope Major League Baseball gets their head out of their ass. And so with that, I'm going to leave you with thank yous to Mark Luino. Make sure you check out his YouTube channel. It is some of the best baseball content on the planet. It's Giraffe Neck Mark on YouTube and on Twitter. Make sure you follow him there. And then, of course, you can come right back here to the Barroom Network all weekend long. 
where you can check out shows about the Chicago Bears, the Chicago Bulls. Look, I'm seeing so much red. I've been getting so much, so many compliments on this sweatshirt today. It's unreal. It's absolutely unreal. And I see it in the chat. And so, you know, make sure you're checking out all the Bulls shows and the Bears shows and the college football playoff is coming. I am leaving as soon as this show is over to head to Detroit, Michigan, to see the Northern Illinois Huskies play Kent State in the MAC title game at Ford Field. Looking forward to that. Got the SEC championship game on Saturday night. We're going to be watching that from restaurants and bars in Detroit. Cannot wait. That is my favorite game of the year. And this year it features Alabama and Georgia. Me and Frankie will be bitching and moaning about the college football playoff rankings next week on Bar Down Talking Hockey when we really we talk about hockey, but we talk plenty of football too. I can promise you that. So, you know, stay seeing red. Stay into baseball too. Because, yes, I agree with Skyler. You'll be seeing so much red and black. It's un, it's unbelievable how much red and black I'm going to be seeing this weekend with the Bulls, the um, NIU Huskies, and, of course, my New Jersey Devils also wear red and black too. Maybe the White Sox should just add a little bit of red to their color so I can root for all red and black teams. Um, I, I'm excited, but I will, I will leave you with this little food for thought before I go. Just because baseball is ignorant – and it's run by crooks. Rob Manfred's a crook. All he does is get paid by the owners to, you know, represent them. He could fire them at any time, but they could fire him at any time. It's a very weird separation of powers. And most people know the political state in the United States. Baseball's a microcosm of it. That's what sports are. They're a condensation of time with more immediate and obvious results than actual real life. And that's just the way it is. But that doesn't mean you have to stop loving the game. Baseball makes people better. It teaches you how to love. It teaches you how to be part of a team. You cannot play this stuff without the help of other people. Take a ball and a bat in your backyard and see how much fun you have. Enjoy playing baseball by yourself. You can't. And so the sport doesn't have to die because of the ignoramus that runs the show. Once this stuff is over, you don't have to forget but you can forgive because baseball is just so great. There's nothing like going to a ball game in the summer with your family, with your friends. So hopefully it doesn't. And the game we watch is so great. Baseball's in the best state in terms of pure entertainment than it ever has been. Shohei Otani was the unanimous American League MVP because he had an ERA slightly over three and hit 46 home runs. That is historic stuff. Fernando Tatis Jr. is one of the most electrifying players the sport has ever seen. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is proof that second generations can come in this game and be great. And you can teach your kids and they, you know, our dads watched Vlad Sr. And now we're all watching Vlad Jr. together. Like there's just so many great things. Juan Soto is just electrifying. Watching Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer be on the same team is going to be delightful. Two teams in town that whether they stink or lose, we bitch and moan about them all the time. We need baseball. Hopefully somebody with a brain could get this thing going and get us out of this. But until then, we're going to be back with you here at the Barroom Network on Crosstown Crosstalk Talking Baseball. And so with that, I leave you. Make sure you follow at Vinny Parisi on Twitter. And thank you for listening.